be, I believe, the the last lesson in this series. Uh, so let me pray for us, and we will begin. Uh, Father, you are a good God. You are one who not only justifies, but you do sanctify. And that is a glorious gift, that you would actually tend to our souls, you would tend to our hearts, and you tend to every part of us, from our minds, our hearts, our wills, the way we think and feel, what we do. You are a, a good shepherd that you tend to us so that we would actually be conformed to the image of your Son. And we thank you for that. And Father, today, would you use all the means of grace that are extended to your body to do that very work? Rebuke us, correct us, exhort us, that we may stand perfect in Christ and actually walk with him in true holiness. Do all this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we have been going over part of the uh, Ordo Salutis, talking about the, uh, the election of God by which he foreknows us, the call of God by which he effectually works in us to bring us out of Adam into Christ, how God justifies us where he declares us pardoned and declares us truly accepted in the righteousness of Christ. And then today we're talking about sanctification. Um, a part that I think is the most uh, practical and at times can be the hardest um, because, you know, justification is, it's an act done by God kind of over you or he, he declares something over you. And it's, it's not something that necessarily comes down in you because it's a glorious uh, status change in Christ. But when we start talking about sanctification, it's really personal. Uh, we, we at times worry, is it really happening? Is it happening enough? How am I failing? How am I doing? And we, we, we tend to look more and more inward. And we can be overly introspective and in saying, well, because this, this fruit, this fruit's not coming, not even saved. Or we could be introspective the other way and go, but look at that one glorious fruit. I don't have to worry about all the other sins, right? We can, it's almost a morbid introspection can happen, or we do the opposite. We just look at our acts and say, well, obviously God's pleased with me. He looks at my fruit and goes, wow, I got a good one. And we look at our fruit that way and we puff ourselves up. And it's hard because this, this work of sanctification is progressive, and much of our life is actually spent in that part of the Ordo Salutis, right? We are declared just, we're made right through the effectual call, but then we, we have to work this out. We, we have to actually live it. We have to grow in this, and that's hard. And, but we have such a good, good God that he has given us shepherds, right? He's given us elders to watch over our soul. He's given us the congregation of the saint by which we come together and encourage and exhort and pray for each other. I mean, he's a, he's a good shepherd who's actually bringing to completion the thing he began. 
And that's what they're talking about in this chapter. All right, so sanctification in Scripture kind of has two senses of the word. There's this initial sense of sanctification by which you are set apart. Right, so think of your effectual calling. You had a head. His name was Adam. It was a fallen head, a disobedient head. And you were actually among the world, a son of the devil. And you had to be drawn out of Adam into Christ. You had to be transferred from one father, the devil, to another father, the the good God, creator of all things. You were set apart. That initial moment of uh, being made new. But there's another sense of sanctification, and that's where we are purified. This progressive, ongoing work of becoming more and more like your head. You become more and more like the elder brother, Christ, the one whom you are justified in by his obedience you actually begin to smell like him, walk like him, talk like him, think like him, feel like him. You are being purified more and more and more where the aroma of Christ just kind of comes off you. And you actually live in this world, right? A fallen world that's being redeemed. You begin to live like your Redeemer. And that's, that's the core of what this chapter is about. It's, it's not so much about that initial part of being set apart. This chapter is trying to wrestle with, what is that? This, this ongoing purification. Well, what is this work that God does? And then they answer it by how. How does he do it? What is our responsibility in it? How is it different from justification? How is it different from our effectual calling? And so they get at that. But but before we look at that, I want to read uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 16. Um, One thing I I don't think we realize, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, when when you come across someone, if you saw them as they were in eternity... You would either rejoice because of the glory of the Son would be manifested in us in eternity, or you would quiver in fear and disgust because the full weight of condemnation would be on that person. And what Lewis is saying is that we are all headed towards something. We have an end goal. This world is not meaningless. Your life is not meaningless. You are on a trajectory. You're not in this weird neutral zone of just kind of, well, I'm not really sure where I'm headed. No, you, you are headed somewhere. And you are progressively becoming more like where you're heading. And that's either hell progressively becoming more and more content in your sin, progressively becoming more and more hardened to the things that are good, progressively becoming more and more delusional about truth and beauty and goodness, or you are on your way to glory, 
and you're progressively becoming more and more sensitive to that which is good. You're progressively becoming more and more enthralled with beauty of God. You're progressively becoming more and more loving to other people. Right? Everyone is on a trajectory. Everyone is progressively becoming more like their end. And we see this in 2 Thessalonians. He's, he's responding here to the false teaching that the uh, resurrection of the full body, not just Christ, but that day of where he returns has already happened, right? So there's this heresy going around saying that. So the people in um, this church was getting confused and worried. And he's addressing specifically that lie, right? Why are people believing it? And then he follows it up with an encouragement where he actually uses a phrase we don't hear very often of, you are saved through sanctification, right? We, we normally hear through justification, through grace. He actually says through sanctification. So let's read this. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. These are the people who are under wrath and believing falsehood, right? They're drinking it in. They're drinking in the falsehood and just clinging to it so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Their heart just delighted in sin, evil, wickedness, and they, they were enjoying falsehood. But we, right, people of God, ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, right? That sovereign election. You were chosen to be the first fruits of the salvation, this, this gloriousness where you are actually not like the world, not under condemnation. No, you're, you're growing in the fullness of Christ through sanctification, by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, He called you, right? That effectual call. This, this glorious salvation through sanctification is yours because He called you to it through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, because of this truth, because of who you are, because of the work of God, stand firm. Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. These heresies don't drink in. Stand firm. Either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, gave us eternal comfort. Christ is our righteousness, not, not us. It's, it's a secure, we have the eternal peace in Jesus, the eternal comfort of our soul. And we have a good hope through grace. And he exhorts them of something to do. Comfort your heart. And esteem. Establish your heart in every good work and word. So sanctification becomes harder to talk about 
Because justification, like we said, is a full monergistic act of God. It's almost black and white. He did it. Right? In Christ, because of God. But then we get to sanctification, and he starts mingling these things of who you are and what you're to do. And that can be hard at times. This is who you are. You have eternal comfort. You are in Christ, justified. You have peace with God. Therefore, through sanctification, you really are saved. Establish your heart. Stand firm in truth. Do not drink in these heresies. And that leads to some confusion and a lot to talk about within 45 minutes. So let's look at the confession of faith. And there's two, I want to break it down into two things. The, the what and the how. What is sanctification? How is sanctification brought about? So in stanza one, they who are once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified, really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts are more and more weakened and mortified, and they are more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness. Without, no man shall see the Lord. The first thing I want to talk about, so when we talk about what is sanctification, it is a work of God that purifies you. When God saves, it is not merely, it is, but not merely a king declaring just. It is, all right? Don't, don't lose that. It is, but not merely. He's a king, and he's a dad. He's a, right? He adopts, and he's a dad and a good shepherd. Your salvation is not just a declaration. It comes to you and changes you. He doesn't just save you from the wrath of sin, but sin of itself, right? The sin within and the sin that goes out. Our good God saves you from your own sin, not just the wrath of sin, but the sin that's really yours. And this work is called purification, where those lusts of the old man, the, the wrong desires towards evil, they're going to be purified, weakened over and over again because he loves you, right? The acts of sin that you commit outwardly towards other people, that's going to be mortified, slain, killed again and again, and again. 
I hope we realize salvation is a beautiful work for the whole of your soul. It's not impersonal, right? We, we should see justification in a legal way because that gives us right, robust theology, but sanctification needs to be right next to it and say, but no, no, no. He, he's coming to you to bless you and while in your sin, give you the glory of Christ to where you actually share in Christ-likeness. You're being purified. All right? And the next thing that we need to see is that this is actually necessary. Sanctification is necessary. All right? So in the sense, there's kind of two senses in that word. Necessary as in it follows logically, right? It's a logical following that if God gives you a new heart, you're going you're gonna to believe and feel differently. That new heart's going to beat differently. If he gives you a new mind, that mind's going to think differently than what it used to. A new will wants and wills differently, right? So at the call where he changes you, it's a necessary logic that you would actually live according to that change. But there's another sense in the word necessary, that without true personal holiness, you won't see the Lord. Our God, in His own triune economy, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's a, a family trait of holiness, righteousness, a love for what is good, always doing what is right, knowing what is true and worshiping what is true, loving beauty in its fullness, it's a family trait of the economy of God. Without that family trait, you are not brought into that family of God. We can't say, yeah, I believe this is true, but while on earth, I'm going to live according to my father, the devil. Something's missing. We can't say salvation is merely me having an acquisition of right knowledge and doctrine, but the heart never changed. The way you love your family, the way you love your congregation, the way you think of your neighbors, the way you think of your community. A necessary component is true Christ-likeness. That's really yours. That in you... You want to be like Christ, and you actually are like Christ. And I think that that weight, we, I think we've lost a little bit in our common vernacular. It's not a wrong statement to say sanctification is the fruit of salvation. It's not wrong, okay? I, I want to be a bit more precise. It is the fruit of justification. It is the fruit of effectual calling. But if you think of sanctifi- uh, salvation as the whole, right, the full package deal, 
if you try to pull out sanctification from that ordo salutis and go, eh, I don't really need that. That's not necessary. Well, then, friends, that's not salvation as a whole. It is a necessary component of being saved by a holy God. And that's what we need. We need salvation, not just from wrath. We do. But from our very sins, we need to be saved. Gosh, from our hearts. Our very hearts sin. We we need salvation from that. My, My very mind does not honor God the way it should. I I need salvation from that. My will, I I need salvation from a corrupt, evil will. And that's necessary, but don't forget that when we're talking about the what, sanctification is a work. Not a momentary, once-in-a-lifetime act. Justification is God once in a moment declaring just. Your justification is not progressively working out. In Christ's death on the cross and resurrection declared all those in Christ just. But sanctification is a work of God molding you, changing you, taking that effectual call, that new heart, that new mind, that new will, and putting his hands to it, scraping away the sin, helping change the desires, helping you think rightly. It is God's work. Our Redeemer, our Savior, is at work in you to sanctify you. It's a necessary component fulfilled by the Savior to change you and make you like Christ. Right? This is how they can say, it, it's really impersonally. It really, it's really, a personal God is really changing you. Right? We should be able to look over the past two to three years of our life and look backwards and be like, no, I, I see God's work. I, I can actually, in my life, see my will changing. I can look at my mind and think of the way I used to think about people, maybe a particular family member, maybe a friend, an enemy. No, I, my mind has actually been changed. I really am thinking more like Jesus. Or how about your will? Like, think about your family. Are you dying to yourself? And you look back over the years and go, no, I, I am. More and more, I am dying to myself. I am more gentle with my children. I am more patient with my parents. This personal God is working that in you, purifying you slowly, progressively, and might even say mysteriously. And this work of purification that is necessary is also total. Not 
one member of who you are will be untouched. He's not sanctifying just the way you think and then leaving your affections and your desires alone. He's not sanctifying just what you do while not touching the way you think about life and God. Total depravity is every member of who you are. The mind, the will, the affections. Sin corrupts every aspect of who you are. Oh, but we have a Redeemer who is going to sanctify every aspect of who you are. His purification is at work with every part of who you are. There's times we want to treat sanctification more like a garden, right? So if you go out in a garden and if you look over your landscape and you see uh, some trees or bushes or fruit really producing well over here, and you go, that's really, that is really good. And then a gardener comes by and says, yeah, but have you noticed those weeds over there? You look around the corner, ah, I don't care about those weeds. Weeds are fine. Just, just look at that one tree that's really growing some good fruit. And the gardener says, okay. Comes back many months later. Hey, how's your garden? Good, that one tree I pointed out, it's even bigger. There is more glorious fruit. And the gardener says, yeah, but those weeds have taken over now a quarter of your garden. Right, right, it, it, that's fine, that's fine. Just look at that one tree. Gardener comes back next year. Wow, that tree is blooming. Oh, but I see the weeds have now made its way to the tree. How long do you think that tree will last? Now that those weeds that you have ignored have started to consume your garden. Three years later, no garden. That's sin. That really is sin. It's not content with staying in one member. It's not content staying in your mind. It wants your will. It wants your heart. It's not content staying in your heart. It'll take over your mind and your volition. And thus we have the most perfect gardener who prunes every aspect of you. The way you think, the way you feel, what you do. He takes the most serious sins and the most simple little secret sins and plucks them up, right? Weed, you don't have to do anything. Weed just grows. Weed just grows. You have to pluck it up or it consumes. That's what what he does. The totality of who you are is being purified. And then finally, for the what, I want us to see that this, this is a sure It's a sure work. God's the one at work, ultimately, right? We're going to get into the how of what we need to do, but it is a sure work, right? So I want to read for us uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless 
at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You were not effectually called because of something in you. He called you. You were not justified because of something in you. He did it. And my friends, that same God who did all that amazing work on your behalf is faithful to complete it. Your sanctification is ultimately on the grounds, on the faithfulness of God. In Christ, you are justified. He is faithful to receive that propitiatory work in the Holy Spirit coming to you, pouring himself in you, indwelling you, changing you. The Father is faithful to see that work to the end. Right, so when we, we're about to talk about the how, before we do, I, I want you to see that sanctification is a labor that there's things for us to actually do. All right, we're, we are to walk in newness of life. But don't have the picture of sanctification like you have this huge burden on your back and you're walking across this rickety rope bridge. And at any moment... It's all going to crumble. At any wrong step in your sanctification, it's all going to come down. We are to stride in our sanctification, be at peace in our sanctification. There's a boldness in it, even in our confessing sins, a boldness and realization that no, we are not perfect and accepted upon our own merit. It is Christ alone. We are to boldly strive for that narrow gate by which we're entered into glory. Because you do have a gardener. You have a king who's walking this with you, sustaining you. And I think they see this in sections two and three. This sanctification, right, this, this work of the what is throughout in the whole man, Yet it is imperfect in this life. It's not going to be perfected now. You're being perfected. But tomorrow, no. Next day, no. Two years, no. While on earth, it won't be fully perfected. There are abiding still some remnants of corruption in every aspect of who you are, every part. Whence ariseth, uh, ariseth a continual an irreconcilable war, right? When, when we read about the what, isn't there a conflict in you? <laughs> yes, this is true, but then I think about what I did earlier today, yesterday, tomorrow. There's a war, there's a tension, there's something going on in me. It's the flesh lusting against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. In which war, although the remaining, remaining corruption... For a time, it may prevail. Backsliding in the Christian faith is a real thing. We, we should not be very quick to write off ourselves or fellow believers 
the seasons of real sin where they feel like they're wrestling their own flesh, clawing and crawling for repentance, but they just feel like they're getting pulled back again and again. There's a mysterious work in a sovereign God by which he lets us taste just the bitterness of our sin. He does. It's, it's a mysterious work by the Father actually lets us taste it and then, and then comes around and comforts, picks us up in a hug and comforts us and says, no, no, my, my grace is sufficient for you. Do not lose heart. It's a, it's a weird thing. It's very mysterious. And then, even though it may prevail, yet, through the continual supply from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate doth a part, the regenerate part doth overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, the reverence, the true respect that he deserves. All right, so in looking at the all three stanzas, when we talk about how, there's a word used that Protestants instinctively don't like at first. Infusion. <laughs> all right, and there's a reason we don't like that word when we talk about justification. But when we talk about infusion we are not talking again about something, a status over you that is your status because of another. Infusion is the word of pouring into you, right? The Holy Spirit is granted to you, poured into you. A new heart does function differently. That new heart is really yours. It's not a status change heart. It's a tangible real thing. The will change that you have is not just a status, it's, it's real. And this is why we call the church holy, the word for clean, right? When we look at the congregation, we look at the people of God in Christ, there is a sense of, no, we are the holy people, the clean people, the people who have had this grace of the Spirit, the strength of the Spirit here, resonating personally in me, poured out into me, for me. So think of, think of your baptism, all right? So in Romans 6, you were baptized into the death of Christ, that you may walk in newness of life. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling for it is God Almighty who works in you that you might will and work for his good pleasure. It's a personal thing. It's a thing poured into you. And second, in this infusion whereby which he comes into you to change you, in the stanza one, they, they talk about this virtue that is being worked out in you. And it is the virtue of death and life. And we see it right here. Through the virtue of Christ, death and resurrection. 
The Christian life is one of sharing in Christ, sharing in his death, sharing in his life. And there's a, a fullness to that, and one particular uh, doctrine we need to kind of pull out of that and look here in our sanctification is that this virtue is actually being worked in you that you may die with Christ. You may die to sin. When your heart lusts after sin, that virtue of dying to that lust is yours in Christ. And through the fusion of the Holy Spirit, strengthening you, quickening you, granting you grace, you have the duty and joy to die to sin. You, you can die to sin. And that's a duty, right? So your life progressively should look like more and more death, carrying around the death of Christ in our mortal bodies. When you look at a saint who has run the race well, if you could put their whole life here on the board, it should actually, in one sense, just look like more and more and more death. Dying to themselves more and more when their hearts, right, that corruption of sin that will remain until we're glorified, they're a warrior who has seen that sin, knows their sin, and has grown in the death of Christ. They know themselves, they know their minds, they know their hearts and their wills, and they're, they're slowly, this aroma of the beautiful dying of Christ just kind of exudes off them. Right? So like, think of a, an older man who just walks around exuding the death of Christ and how he loves people. The leadership he gives to the church, the servanthood he gives to the church, the way he takes younger men under his wing and is gentle but firm. Think of an older woman who's learned to die to herself, who takes younger women under her wing, and this beauty who adorns herself with submission and good works as the women of old. There should be this aroma of death, slowly and growing more and more. But you can never detach these two things. In the Christian world, the more you share in the death of Christ, oh, the more you are sharing in the glorified life. You're, as you take off the old man, you are putting on the new. The more you are dying to your sin, the real virtue of Christ, the joy of good, grows. The real joy of truth grows. The, the worship and wonder of what is really beautiful in this world, really holy, it grows. So as you see this, this life where you almost see like just this, a, a downsending to death, at the same time, there's this upsending where they're actually living out the joy of the Lord. And we see this. And it's not as our world would want to say, equitable. Justification 
is the exact same for every saint, right? From a little toddler to the oldest saint, no one stands on a better righteousness than Christ. None. But there will be a a difference in the congregation of how we are sanctified, where we are on our sanctification, the means God uses, sometimes suffering, confusion, more or less children, different jobs, more or less money, right? Our, our lives are different. It's not this equitable, plain, everything the same. It's, it is vastly different. But each person's sanctification is ordained by God, personally mapped out for you. Every good work was prepared beforehand for you to walk in. As uh, Samuel Rutherford may say, God may give you a cup to drink that is bitter, but there will never be poison in that cup. Drink it heartily. Everyone has a different cup at different times, but we should be the, the collective saints, the gathering who exhort and encourage one another. No, 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 no. I know that's hard. I know it's confusing. We all have one Father who has prepared this very moment for you, for your purification. I, I don't know how that's going to play out. I will weep with you. I will walk with you. But the last thing we want to do is say that somehow God has lost control of our sanctification, that God is no longer at the helm of how he is dealing intimately with his children. And so this death and life virtue is at work in you. And then the last part is, so as we're infused the Holy Spirit, we're growing in death and life, and then there's this more tangible cause they talk by with the word by. By his word and spirit dwelling in you. When we gather together on the Lord's Day, do we think about how um, efficacious the word is for those united to Christ? When you sit in before Dennis's sermon, do you actually think, oh, this is the time my God has carved out to communicate his word to me so I may receive it in faith, to be exhorted for my sanctification, to be corrected for my sanctification, to be encouraged, to be strengthened? Does, does the word bear that weight? in our lives, right? If we sit down at the dining room table with our families, do we open the Bible and just kind of read it? Does, it? does it bear the weight of that joy in our families? Do we, do we realize the Word actually carries the saving power by the Spirit, right? Sanctification is a necessary component. True holiness must be wrought in you 
by the Father, but he has worldly means. Worldly in the sense of here and now, means. The Word of God actually communicates to us, all right, I have a new heart, how should I feel? When I look at the world, when I look at the mess, look at everything going on, how should I feel? What is the holy way to do that? Right? I have a new will. I, I want to exercise it in holiness. How do I do that? I've been given the word to show me how this is done. Right? How do I go to work and treat my coworkers? How do I submit to my boss? We have the word. It's not a burden. No. It's for your soul for your salvation, so you may die with Christ and live with Christ. And that word, by the, the humble work of the Spirit, comes to us who still have remnants of sin, who hear the word and we want to stiffen our neck, we want to turn away. The Holy Spirit applies it more and more. Can you look over the past three, four years and say, no, I actually... I think I do know the word better now than I did three, four years ago. Not in pride, but because that's what sanctifies you. It's, it's the truth of God that sanctifies you. Can you look over the past three, four years and go, no, no, no. The way I lead my wife as the head of the home is more aligned with Scripture. The way I submit to my husband as a wife is more in line with Scripture. And you're just warmed with the fact that, no, I'm, I'm growing. I'm growing in grace. And that's what happens, like, right, when we sing the Word, right, if we sing the Psalms, do we think about, hey, we're corporately gathering, and I'm not only singing to God, I'm, I'm singing to each other. Hear this Word. May it strengthen you. May, may it embolden you. May it even correct you through the Holy Spirit. Right, when Dennis takes the bread, and the wine, it's the word in a more simple, tangible form. And he, he breaks it. And so this is for you. Do you receive that? No, this really is for me. This is how the Spirit takes the truth of God, conforms it to your life, and sustains it in your life. And what I found to be the most interesting, they actually didn't put this in here, it's in another section, but I, I want to make sure I say it because it is a part of the other section. Faith is needed. No one sits on their hands and is sanctified. True, rigorous, trusting faith. Right? We're not sanctified in a Gnostic way where we go, I'm just going to transcend into these wonderful truths. You have to believe it, trust it, act on it. If you're convicted of sin, we don't put our hands in our pockets and go, well, God's just going to have to make me confess it. It's not faith. It's wavering. Trust that confession is for the good of your soul. Sins wage war on your soul. Trust that the confession cleanses, right? So we, we can't have these weird views of sanctification that don't involve true personal faith. 
But this part, it, it needs to be backed up by all of this. All right? You, you do have a God who is surely doing this in you. The same God that when you had nothing but evil desires, gave up his son so he may work in you. The same son who gladly died so he may reign in you. Right? We, we really need to realize, no, this, there's, a, there's a real intimate infusion going on. There's real death, real life is at hand. This life is meant for my death and the life of Christ. And then exercise that faith. It's not, it shouldn't be the, the complicated, it's not meditation where we just sit around and wait. Faith is that seen act where you really trust this is true. And that's, that would be my, my final exhortation to us today. Really believe it. Really act on it. Really faithfully strive for your sanctification, for it's yours in Christ. All right, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you for the gift of sanctification, for it is a gift. It's a gift by grace. Father, uh, for your namesake, because we bear the name of Christ. And what a glory it is that you actually make us and conform us more and more into that image. So we thank you. And Father, we also want to ask for help. Father, we all stride for sanctification. Please help us. Give us faith. Give us repentance. May we truly receive your word in meekness. May we not harden against the Holy Spirit. May we walk, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. May we trust that even uh, the rebuke and correction is out of love and for our benefit. And Father, may we be strengthened unto the day we are fully glorified in Christ on the day we stand before him and see him face to face. What a day that will be. Help us to stay motivated and striving well until that day. And help us to help each other as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.